Hello and welcome to the Wingnet Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond. Personally, I have been to 50 countries. I've met so many people in my travels that I want to bring them on this podcast and get their story on record. I have plenty of tips and stories to share with you as well. Are you a backpacker or a traveller or gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. Throughout the weeks and months, you'll get many guests and solo episodes where I try to cover all range of subjects within travel. This is a casual and informative travel podcast to inspire you to travel in the future. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting this. And I'll see you soon. Cheers, James. Hello and welcome to the Winging It Travel Podcast, episode 51. Travelling with Matty Dias in Haiti, Spain, Bangkok, Slovakia and Moldova. A fantastic episode this week where we're going to discuss Matty's life as a travel guide for Intrepid Travel. He loves ultramarathons. And he's going to talk to us about that sort of mindset he has. But he's also going to delve into his travel history. So he lived in Haiti for six months. He's also lived in Spain. He lived in Bangkok for three years. Uh, Slovakia for a period of time. And also done some real cool trips in Moldova for Intrepid. So he's going to talk to us all about that sort of stuff. And it's a great episode. I can't wait to release it. First announcement. As you might have seen or might not have seen, I've changed my logo. It is a brand new logo from the same designer. And I feel like after a year, it was time for a little bit of a change. And I absolutely love it. And I can't wait to use it. And I've already had some great reaction on social media and some messages from people as well. So I hope you like that. That's the first announcement. Number two. Absolutely huge moment here. I do have a merchandise store available for you. This will be released on Friday as of now. So Friday, the 11th of February, a merchandise store with Public in affiliation with Podchaser 2 which will be available in there there will be all sorts of things available for you I will have an affiliate link which will be able to share with you on my social media channels and this will give you an initial discount of um, certain money off and for 48 hours it will be for sale so there will be some money off and some stuff that you can buy such as t-shirts, jumpers key rings, magnets, mugs all that sort of stuff that comes with merchandise shop and you can access this on my social media channel so go to my instagram facebook twitter and there'll be a link on there for you to access and you can then choose what you like to buy and it covers men's children's and women's clothing as well so all sorts of ranges in terms of sizes ages etc i can't wait to have that available to you i've got my t-shirt you're going to see that on some promo videos coming up this week and i absolutely love it i can't thank them highly enough for agreeing to be affiliate with me and I've got a link to my Podchaser Wingnet Travel Podcast account as well, so you can find it there too. That's that. Um, a couple of things on the podcast episode this week is uh, we talked about potentially going into Australia. Didn't get time to do that, so we had to finish that a little bit early. So there'll be no Australia chat, even though we mentioned it a bit early on in the podcast episode. Also to note, Matty did do a trip in Norway, which we mentioned on the podcast episode. This has now happened because we recorded this about nearly a month ago. So that's already happened, and I believe it went really well. Um, so just in terms of time scale, just bear in mind that that Norway section that we mentioned was actually the day after recording, which was about three or four weeks ago. Um, just want to give you a heads up on that. So yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for reviewing. It was my best month yet in January, so streams, downloads at an all-time high. Um, let's keep the traction going. I love people downloading different countries. It's had a great range of countries in January. And let's hope February is even better. Got some great guests coming up and they're all recorded and ready to go. Again, thanks for listening. Let's get into the episode. Cheers for that. Catch you soon. Bye. Let's get into the episode. 
Hello and welcome to the Winging at Travel podcast today and I'm joined by Matty Dias from the Travel Bubble podcast. Matty is here to talk about his travel history. He's lived in five different countries. He's also here to talk about his podcast too and also his 15 ultramarathons. And to finish the intro, he has been declared as the fourth best tour leader in the world of Intrepid Travels. Matty, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, James. Thanks for having me, mate. I'm, I'm very well, actually. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Not bad, thanks. Cheers for coming on. Where are you based? I'm based right now in Cornwall, so down in the southwest of England, but I'm from originally the northwest of England, up north. Yeah, you're middle of nowhere, aren't you? Southwest? What's, what's down there? Yeah, it's, it is quite frustrating. Like We're so far away from everything, but Cornwall is like probably one of the most beautiful parts of England, so I came back to England, been here for like 15 months now. Yeah. Um, because we're here because of like lockdown, pandemic, whatever, we decided to settle in what we thought was the best best bit of the UK. Okay. So we moved down here for that reason. Is your partner from up north as well? Yeah, from St Helens as well. Oh, okay, yeah. so you both like kind of chose to live there. Yeah, so we have no connection down here, which is, um, but we're starting to build a life down here. In a yeah, way. how do you find that with like starting a new life and kind of building connections? Um, difficult. Um, you have to actively seek out um, and try to make new friends. People don't really want to make new friends, especially mm. with nomadic people who move around. They're like, yeah. "What's the point?" Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> why do I want to talk to you? Because you're not going to yeah. be here. You're not going to be yeah, around yeah. in like twelve months' time. <laughs> um, so you have to actively like seek out new friends. So in the places that I've lived, I've joined clubs, for example, like running clubs. Yeah. Um, and where I live now, I actually started working in a pub to make friends. The re- I, I'm not a millionaire or anything, but it wasn't for cash. It wasn't, wasn't for the money. It ah. was to ingratiate myself with the village and get to know people and make friends. And it it sounds a bit like psychopathic that, but um, it it worked. It worked. It's um it's interesting because we obviously live in Vancouver here, and you're absolutely right about making an effort because if you don't. The only real friends you're going to probably meet are probably at work. Yeah. And um, if you don't do social stuff, I don't really know how you meet people. And I've been a bit lazy with that, actually. I think one, I've been here three years and I, I don't think I've proactively been out there enough. Um, I've got, obviously got some friends here, probably mainly from work, which are cool. They're, they're great, but they're not uh, people I've seek, like, actively seeked out. Yeah. So like the, the, the biggest circle of friends that I got, um, was was in Thailand, but I was there for a few years to be fair, and that was through through working at a couple of different places, and then it was through running mainly, like yes, running clubs and and so that was the way of like making friends. But otherwise, it's hard, and and you can try, you can go to like meetups or you can go to things like that, but it can be a bit contrived and. Like, but I was lucky in Bangkok to like make some. Some 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 of the what I would describe as best friends, yeah. best friends for life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think um, the problem I have is I don't know if you have the same problem. Is I've got quite a, a good nucleus of friends back home in Norwich, yeah. and that kind of makes you. I don't, I don't know if this is right or wrong. Actually, it kind of makes you a bit lazy because I know yeah, I've got friends back home. I don't need to make new friends, but it can also yeah, work yeah. the other way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like you don't need friends, do you? Really, and especially. I think it's probably more difficult for, or not more difficult for us, less of a necessity for us because we've both got partners. 
Like, yeah. so we've always moved somewhere with our partner. So it's not as if we're on our own every night. We've always got that fallback. Yeah, you're right. Having the friend with you anyway. So it's not as if you like being like a solo expat and trying to make friends because you're like, ah, we could just stay in tonight and watch telly. <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think I look back in somewhere like Australia, which I'm sure we'll cover on this uh, episode, where I did make a lot of friends, but that's because I was living in a hostel, like a working hostel. So you would obviously make friends because you see them every day and you probably have different jobs so you kind of talk about that and do sport yeah, yeah. and all that sort of stuff right so yeah, I, I could see where you're going with that yeah absolutely also is your work based like not not the pub but the your other job is that based down in Cornwall as well so I'm a I'd say my my, my career is a tour leader yeah um and that but that's a some it's seasonal job so it's only for like eight months of the year so ah. the other four months of the year I just do whatever really um so Say for example, I work at the pub. Yeah. Occasionally, um, I'm like a cover at the pub. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So if they need someone to come in and do a bit of chefing, then yeah. I'm there. Um, <laughs> nice. And I live yeah. across the road, and I like chefing as well, so it's it's good. It's really fun and a good working environment. But yeah, so my my job though is I do do tours of Cornwall, and I do do hikes, like day hikes of Cornwall, yeah. because I'm here. But my job in general is it could be anywhere, primarily primarily right now in the UK. But okay. say for example, on Monday I'm I'm leading a tour in Norway, so that's so wow. It can be any, it can be anywhere. I'm pre prior to the lockdown, it was all over. Like it was not in the UK, which is which was the draw for the job. It was like Bulgaria, Romania, Transnistria, Romania, like. All the east, basically, yeah. east of yeah, Europe. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I love about the job, like because I love traveling, and that's why I want to travel. So leading in the UK is great. Um, I get to see bits of the UK that I've not seen before, or um, get outdoors and do a lot of hiking. Mm. But the real buzz for me is going to somewhere new or going to somewhere a bit like exotic. I don't, I don't mean exotic like not england basically. <laughs> that's exotic for me that's great yeah that's that's an interesting it's almost a, a, a job that i would like probably i think you'd be good at it i think you going forward i'd like to do um mm. is it easy to get into like in terms of like being a tour leader like and also another question to add to that is if you go to do a tour in norway are you supposed to know that tour in terms of like the places you go to and be an expert in that area or are you just kind of leading the, the logistics of the tour yeah, so basically, what I say is, I'm a tour leader, not a tour guide. Uh, so this is the caveat. So you go, a tour leader knows something about everything. A tour guide knows everything about something. Right. So, for example, I'm a tour guide, sometimes in Cornwall. So I take people on guided hikes in Cornwall. Yeah. And then I, I describe, I'm an expert on this hike and Cornwall kind of thing. But say when I go to Norway... It's going to be, I'm basically logistics. So um, getting people from A to B safely and making sure they have a good time. So yeah, it's, um, it's difficult. Naturally, I want to, I want to be an expert and naturally I want to know a lot of things, but it's hard, like, especially going to this place, the one in Norway next week, I've, I've never actually been to Norway, but you i think if you're a good tour leader or you should be able to lead a tour in a place that you've never been to right because you're not a tour guide like 
for that. So as long as you can lead a tour, then you should be able to do it anywhere, really. And do you have like a tour guide with you on that tour? Because so what they, we, they'd be the experts, maybe. So what we typically do on a tour is say we go to like Budapest. Um, we can uh, we can link up with a tour guide in Budapest who okay. knows Budapest. Yeah. Um, or I, if I take a group around, I go, well, I know this really great tour guide in Bucharest. If you want a guide, a guide a tour in Bucharest, you can have one. It's here. Here's his name. It's a fiver each, and I connect you with that local. Right. Um, and typically, when I'm doing like the European tours, I'll take people on, um, um, like they're called orientation walks, but we call them orientation walks for legal reasons, really, because your some cities are very uh, strict about who can be doing guided tours in those cities for, oh, good, for okay. good reason. Okay. Because they they want to control the quality and they want yeah. to keep uh, keep jobs for locals basically. Yeah. So if I go on a tour in Budapest, I call it an orientation walk. So I go here's here's the shop, here's the bank, here's an ATM. But yeah. really, I can do. I have done a, a three hour walking tour of Budapest. I've done like a four hour walking tour of Vienna, and but I learn it all and then forget it all like. Oh right, okay. Yeah, because it, okay, it just—it's hard to retain the information if you're not using it. So I cram and cram and cram, and then it all goes out of my head. That's exactly the same um, mentality that I had in music when I was studying degree. I had to do a, a new song every week, and I'd learn, 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 learn up to performance, and then instantly the even the even <laughs> of I've forgotten about it, and I can't even play that song a week later because I've just moved on to the next one. Yeah. It's weird how it works though, isn't it? Like you, yeah, you're an expert in that one thing for like a week or two and then it's gone. Like, yeah, use it or lose it. Like yeah. I try to remember certain things and they say you only remember something I think this is like pseudoscience, but you only you only remember something once and the every other time you're remembering that memory. Okay, yeah, I, I can see you going with that. It kinda yeah, makes yeah. sense, isn't it? Yeah. But like I, I used to do a really good walking tour of um this place in Romania where Vlad the Impaler was born. And I can't even think of what the t- the town's called now. Oh, wow. I, I used <laughs> yeah. to be able to talk for like three hours. And I, I can't, honestly, I'm trying to tell you, I can't think of the name of the town. So right. it should come. Like, that, that's mental, isn't it? Here's a question for you then. And you can be honest with this question. I, I've done traveling like yourself probably in various years. So I went traveling in 2013 with my mate from uni for six months. And I can pretty much recall, there's about, there's about 15 countries in there, I imagine, in that six months. A lot a lot of information, who we met, where we went to, what tours did we do, what experiences did we have, when I got boozed up, when I was like, at my mind, all that sort of shit, right? I can remember that. And I've written a book about it because I just know it, right? <laughs> but let's fast forward uh, five or six years. And this is no like criticism to Emma or anything. I've traveled to Emma in some of the same places <laughs> yeah. on the same sort of trip four or five months i think we've done traveling and i'm struggling to remember it and i, 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 I can't, why is that that oh that's a good one i i don't know See, for me it's i very rarely remember like i can't i can't really picture the views or things that i've done or things that i've like it's all it's all like little snapshots of things like of really enjoyable times or really stressful times. So like, yeah. Oh, I remember the meeting those three guys in Vietnam 
and we had them beers. That was well, that was funny. And it sticks yeah. in my mind. And then, you know, like just, oh, remember when we got really stressed out in Laos? Like, so it's just those little things that I retain and everything else is gone, like logistics wise. Yeah. Like, I think I've mentioned this on a podcast before, but I was like, I've been to Japan and mm-hmm. I was like, I, th- I think I've spent three weeks in Japan. And I was like, yeah, definitely three weeks. I did all this and that. And I looked at my passport and it was like 10 days or 12 oh. days. Like, yeah. but in my, just memory is weird, isn't it? It's yeah, it's so weird, strange. Yeah, because yeah. we went to Japan for four weeks. And I know the place we went to, but I can't tell you what we did a lot of days. Like maybe it's the, <laughs> maybe it's the days that you push yourself. Like this picture behind me is Nepal, right? So we've done the Poon Hill Trek on the Annapurna circuit, which is like five days. And it was fucking tough. Like I was hanging and this is on the fourth morning, I think. So this is like where you reach the, I guess, the pinnacle of the trek. But I remember every day of that because it's tough. And I was like hating myself because I wasn't fit enough. And it was like a tough trek. And I remember all the nights we played Uno and all that sort of stuff, right? And and this morning sunrise. So I remember that sort of stuff. But like maybe the easiest stuff would just go around Japan and to all the awesome places, like all the cities and stuff. It's blurry. I, I know Mount Fuji because we climbed it again. There's another climbing thing. So... Right? Who, who's like organizing it when you're there is it does Emma do quite a bit of it as well i think we we share it sure we it. both have our own uh things we want to see probably in that country and then anything and between is probably day to day or even even a few days ahead that's it okay yeah i can't explain it it was because it was brand new like and I, everything I was brand so new. brand yeah. new and that's your brains okay oh this is new we have to keep we have to keep all of this memory because it, it, this is different and new but yeah. because you're you're more confident and you've travelled and you've been there and done that, now you now your brain just thinks this is what James does. That's the that's but my that, conclusion before because yeah, getting boozed up on Koh San Road in, in Bangkok. Well, I've done that 2013, but I remember 2013 because that's the first time, right? I couldn't believe the street existed and yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you're right. It's just that there's new things kind of stick in your mind. So maybe this Poon Hill trek in Nepal was new. Like, so, yeah, bloody hell, like he's Yeah, like proper is this, is this, is this his life now? We're gonna this is horrible, we have to remember this <laughs> in case we have to do it again. Like uh maybe, maybe, maybe I don't know, yeah. It's it's good theory, yeah. It's interesting. Might have to weigh that up. Like I remember Yukon now because it was so fucking cold. Like that yeah. is brand new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we we're talking before, yeah, and um, before we started recording, but yeah, I know that because I just remember going out and my beard and my eyelashes were freezing over right so i know that because it was so extreme yeah that is cool that isn't it that's yeah. something that you see in films isn't it or and but you've actually got an experience there yeah yeah i've got uh i put a photo on instagram of so i told emma to take a photo before we went indoors to the cabin so just take a photo of me and I yeah i've, I've definitely seen it i've seen it <laughs> yeah yeah because i'm just freezing over yeah 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 that's that's amazing. It's a unique experience so with intrepid how did you get into that like how was how did that come about so Basically, I've always, I've always, I've lived all over, but I've always taught English to travel. I still teach now, and I do actually love teaching. And I, I, I do think I'm actually quite good at it in a weird way. I've been doing it for like nine years, so you're gonna, you're gonna be good at anything after nine years yeah. or eight years, whatever. But I was, all, I always wanted to travel, to travel, like get a job in travel. And when I was living in Bangkok, I used to do uh, Bangkok running tours. So I'd yep. take tourists on the back streets and down the alleyways of Bangkok oh, awesome, and they'd yeah. love it. And my plan was, I probably could, still is maybe, I don't know, is to take people on running holidays. So okay. possibly like, okay, it's a, 
seven seven day holiday or tent in Thailand, and then we do guided runs in the jungle, in the cities, in the areas during that holiday. So that was always my or that still is my goal. Okay. To lead tour holidays. Yeah. And I was like, well, before I just go and do it, maybe I should get some experience in the industry. Yes. So I started looking at uh, companies when I, I was living in Slovakia at this time. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. And I'd Googled like tour leading jobs or something. Yeah. And I love being in the mountains. I love hiking. Yeah. And there was, I Googled like hiking guides in the, um, in yeah. the high Tatras. And I was like, I'd love to be a hiking guide in the Tatras. That just sounds really good. Yeah. Um, so I Googled it and I saw Intrepid were taking on uh, for guides in Slovakia. So I applied, got the interview with a couple of people, and then they went, they said, well, come for this hiring week in Lake Bled. Yeah. So, like 30 wannabe tour leaders converge on Lake Bled, and we had this big week long interview slash training slash hiring process. And after that, you were like, right, they went, right, you could be a tour leader. Um, but we want to want you to go on like a three week training tour with a qualified leader with a leader who's already done it. Okay. So this, I went, yeah, fair enough. Like it makes sense. To, um, three week was a bit annoying because it was, it was unpaid. Long time. Um, so it was unpaid, but I was like, at the end of this three weeks, if I don't like the job, I've gone on this really good holiday. Yeah. <laughs> the, the tour that I did was like, it was, it was Romania, uh, Hungary, Romania, Moldova, Transnistria, Ukraine for three weeks. And to probably to do it as a guest, it'd probably cost you quite a lot of money. I, I don't even know. A few grand, four grand maybe. Yeah. I got to do it as like a trainee leader. I learned loads. And, and I went to countries I'd never been to as well. I'd never been to Romania, Ukraine, Moldova. Yeah. So it was all brand new. So it was great. Um, got to see Chernobyl and stuff. And at the end of it, they went, right, yeah, you can be a tour leader crack on and then for like eight months straight i was just leading tours around europe and eastern europe and it's it's one of the best jobs in the world i really do love it it's stressful at times and it, it can mm. be annoying but if you've got a good group of people um who were like up for a laugh and dead fun then yeah. it's the best job in the world i really i really do think that yeah as i'm gonna say the stressful parts must be just people maybe not enjoying it or people who are Maybe medically, like, I don't know, like if they're struggling or stuff like that, right? Yeah, the, the difficult part is if you've got a difficult customer, that is quite difficult. But usually, you know, you're only going to have one difficult customer on a tour. Hmm. Uh, there's always one, that's what you could say. But you've got 11 people who are all right. So yeah. that's not the, the issue. The stuff that really stresses me out is the unknown. So basically, the job is to try and not let anything be the unknown. Always have a plan B, plan C, plan D, Got it. Yep. which is a lot easier on tours that you've done a lot of time, many times. Yeah. But it's a bit harder on tours that you've never done before or brand new tours. Then it's like, I'm confident in my ability to lead a tour. I know I can work with people and lead the group and have a good time. But it's like things that I don't know yet. Yeah. It causes me kind of like, oh, what can I do about that? So I just make sure I know and I've done as much as I can. So in preparation for that moment. So for example, this Norway trip, it's full of unknowns and it's a brand new trip and it's only a, it's a one-off trip. It might never happen again, or it might happen once a year. Oh, wow. um, okay. So it's never been done. So it's, it's like, right. It's mad. You know, like, it's like, <laughs> Oh, right. We need to make sure everything works and it, everything does work out in the end, but it's just like, it causes you a bit of stress before it, before it takes place. 
And do you always go like on your own, or do you have a, a fellow tour leader with you as well? Always on my own. Always on oh, my wow. own. Oh yeah. wow, that's quite hardcore, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. So th- this year I was always in the U. I was always in the UK. So in Hadrian's Wall, Cornwall, or the Peak District, that's where I've been working this year. Um, so I end up doing Hadrian's Wall seven times this year. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so by the seventh time, like, it's, it becomes dead easy then. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then the only problem is don't be complacent because then of course. that's when things go wrong. So you got, but it, you're a dead good leader by that point. Like after six times doing it, you know all the information and mm. you've made, you've built the relationships in the pubs, in the hotels, got the it. places where you're yeah. staying. So you're like, it's it's like going home. It's really, it's really good. Mm. What is who? Who are the, the primary customers for you? Are they sort of like younger backpackers, or does it kind of spread across the spectrum? Um, it spreads across. They're not cheap tours. Um, okay. So typically, Intrepid are an Australian company. So, um, used to be about eighty percent Australian um, on New Zealand audience, and they come over on long service leave and come and do a tour. Um, I'd say. It's about seventy percent female because, unfortunately, the the way of the world, it's probably a bit more difficult for women to travel solo. Unfortunately, yeah. so women feel a bit safer having that guided guided guide leader and the group, yeah. rather than doing these things on their own. Um, so seventy percent female and maybe sixty percent over forties, fifties, sixties. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, because it, they're quite expensive and. It's not something that a younger person would probably do. Um, right. So it doesn't really appeal to like an equivalent of like STA travel who were, who were in existence, but not anymore. But no, like exactly. Very, of... Yeah. So it's not Contiki or Top Deck who are aiming at this like very youth, youthful yeah. market. The only time I get young people really is on the, on the unusual tours. So for example, the, the Moldova, Transnistria, Ukraine tour, mm. because people are, are a bit more worried about going to those places. Yeah. So then the younger people will sign up because just for that element of safety and that fallback and the safety net of having a leader with them. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. I think that's been a, a theme, but that hasn't mentioned a few times on the uh, podcast episodes that sometimes female travel can be difficult. Um, and it's kind of an area that I do want to explore a bit more with maybe getting more maybe solo travellers uh, on and talk about their experiences. I yeah, think. yeah. But also, you must be stoked that you're ranked number four though, in the world as a tour leader. Yeah, a bit mad. Like, it's very arbitrary. Like, yeah. It was Wanderlust magazine, which is yeah. pretty legit, to be fair. Like, very legit in mm. terms of industry, industry publications. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to be, like qualified and quantified as like the fourth best in the world um it's just nice to be recognized it it it's a list of, of these experts have put together but it's just it's a bit silly but it, it's nice mm. and when i got it when i i was named the fourth i was dead chuffed yeah that is an incredible achievement so congratulations on that that's awesome when i Thanks saw it me. i was like oh that's awesome like yeah do you know do you know in a weird way i read it like the way you put it i <laughs> I thought you were like almost joking with it. Oh, I'm the fourth best. Like it's like not the best. I'm just the fourth best in the world. Like that's what, <laughs> yeah. that's where you can have a laugh. And it doesn't really mean it's arbitrary, right? But it's recognition. Don't forget, yeah, let's not forget that. Well, but it, it kind of means. So that. yeah, I take it in two ways. Like it is a bit silly, and it is. But I think you mentioned it in the before the podcast or in the show, in the um, 
in our email exchanges. Um, these other guys who were like one, two, and three, they were they're doing like Everest Base Camp. They're doing like Bhutan. Yeah, Bhutan. They're doing, yeah. Um, they're doing like some amazing, breathtaking places. I'm taking people to Hadrian's Wall. In the, <laughs> I'm taking people to Newcastle. Like it, my my job is a lot harder. The the people are going to be blown away going to Everest Base Camp, no matter what. Yeah. I've got a really big up Newcastle, you know. Like, so I'm like, yeah. they say I'm the fourth best in the world, but I reckon if you're going to drill down, like there could be arguments from being, being the people beneath you, like, oh, I do tours in, like, I don't know, in the depths of the jungle in, in the Amazon, but I'm number eight. Yeah. And, yeah. And Matty's doing yeah. Yeah, tours of Asians War in Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah. So he must be good. Yeah. I'd take that as a compliment. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because hmm. you don't have, this is no offense to, Newcastle, you don't have a fullback, like you say. It's not base camp. Like you're gonna have to make yeah, it really well, interesting. I'm like you, like people. Are, people have dreamed all the life of doing base camp, or they yeah. are doing like guerrilla treks in Uganda, or whatever. Um, but like this year, my, my biggest challenge is I'm taking people on tours of the UK, and most of the people I'm taking on the tours are from the UK because of yeah. COVID. So. Yeah. It's not as if they're having the wow factor of like, oh wow, I'm I'm seeing a pub for the first time. Yeah. Most of these people have been living in the UK 50, 50 more years than me. Like <laughs> they've been around. Um so it's a harder job, but at the same time it's it's kind of easier because there's there's no dramas and like there's no homesickness or there's yes, no like culture shock. Like yeah. <laughs> fish and chips is fish and chips kind of thing. <laughs> What's the what's the most craziest place you toured? Do you think? The, the yeah, the craziest I'd say is um, Transnistria, which is like a country that doesn't exist. Yeah, technically, it's an unrecognized state, and it's within Moldova, and it's kind of people say it's kind of like a Russian puppet state within Moldova. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's very close to the U- Ukraine, uh, um, near the Odessa border, and it just feels a bit strange otherworldly when you're there it's dead normal really yeah. you can't really take many photos of certain things and you do feel like you kind of been watched and maybe it's a bit dodgy mm. but it's that sense of being like a bit like going back behind the iron curtain or being like yeah the kgb around the corner and that sense of like danger and it's pretty cool and i love taking people there and we and on the intrepid tour they stay for two nights so a lot of people go to Transnistria for the day or something, yeah. maybe go to see a fort or a castle and, and leave and go back to uh, uh, the capital of Moldova. But we stayed there for two nights, so you can really get under the skin of a place, mm. even in just two nights, and kind of feel like you've done it properly. Yeah, I had some random uh, downloads from Moldova uh, recently. I have yeah. no, idea, no idea who's there, but um, <laughs> it's kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Like Moldova, I've got a friend who travelled a bit said, oh, you should do Moldova, that's none." untapped place and to go and see. I think they say it's the least visited place in Europe. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So that's, but it, it is yeah. dead cool. I'm very good for wine. If you like wine, then Moldova's like the place for wine. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, Only Fools and Horses. Then he try and sell Moldovan wine. <laughs> is that, that, like, is that like, what it is? Yeah. at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is, you know. But I think Moldova, at one point, they used to make all the wine for the um, Soviet Union. Ah, uh, okay. But, Got you. Like the second oldest place to, that made wines. I think number one is Georgia. Number two is yeah. Moldova. And they do actually make some legit wine. Yeah, okay. I'll take your word for that. Well, I'm not a wine buff. No, um, same. Yeah, but, it'll taste same to me. But. 
But from what I've been told, I do know some wine buffs. I, I know some I know some Moldovan wine buffs, and they <laughs> they um, really are proud to be Moldovan. That that sounds a, a real niche uh, area to go into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A Moldovan wine buff. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I've got to research that. That's awesome. On that list of um, yeah, the best tour leaders. I think number two, I've got my notes here that he or she does tours to Bhutan and Bhutan's kind of really high up on my list of places to go to. I was like, wow, like that'd be awesome. So I've got potentially some guests coming on in a few weeks who work for Druk Asia. I don't know if you know those guys based in Singapore. Mm -hmm. They do Bhutanese tours. Oh, class. And they just released, they kind of released a book between the two of them. So they're going to come on and talk about the book and Bhutan. So hopefully get some good information about Bhutan because you have to do a tour there, right? I don't know if you know this. Yeah, yeah. You can't just turn up. I had a guest on, um, a friend, Rachel, I don't know what episode, but she did an underguided tour and she said, like, you've always got someone with you and... Planned, isn't it? You pay your fee, I think it's like $200 a day, wherever it is, and then... Yeah, it's not cheap. And you do your 10, 10 days and it's all yeah. kind of planned out for you, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no deviation, there's no... Yeah, it looks an incredible country, though. Like, the people, well, are always happy. They want yeah, the happiness in the world. Thing. Yeah, 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 and all that. And some of the scenery looks incredible and... It kind of looks like a throwback to what maybe Southeast Asia would have been like back in the day. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So kind of excited um, to go. Yeah, and some beautiful like mountains and yeah, yeah, and monasteries and the mountains and stuff like that. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In UK, you're kind of here for what, 15 months or there 15 months. What's your medium term goals? Do you think to stay in UK a bit longer, or what's, what are you thinking? Um, I probably will be here inevitably for a bit longer. Um, I'll probably do another season in the UK um for intrepid yeah um but yeah i would like to be leading elsewhere and but i would like to be living elsewhere as well I, I, i'm not over living abroad yet my, my okay. problem is yeah. um that i've kind of found this career this tall leading career and it's hard to walk away from but i think the idea my ideal goal would be to do six months tour leading every year and then do yep. six months off, six months travel. That's okay. like the real ideal goal. Yeah. It's just, and that was the goal previously. So after my first season went to Australia, yeah. but because of COVID that, that's just not come to fruition because mm. I can't just move away and then come back. I, I, don't, I probably could, but it's just like, it's just not worked out that way. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I think I'm the same as you. I have this, I'm not over living abroad yet. Um, I will come to the countries that you lived in in a minute because I have some good questions for them. But yeah, I think for me, sort of, I want to go somewhere that don't speak English. That's kind of my next place to live where I want to be immersed in the culture where I have to learn a new language and a new type of cuisine and all this sort of stuff, right? So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at the minute. Sometimes I'm like, right, I'm just here now, so let's just make the most of it. And that's why I can't move to Cornwall. I didn't just settle in St. Helens. Yeah. And I think that would have really like, frustrated me if it was in yeah. St. Helens the past few not that there's anything wrong with St. Helens I do love it it's one of the best places in the world in my opinion but it, it, if I would have like in my in my head that would have been a waste of 15 months so the fact yeah. that I've come to Cornwall and I've kind of got under the skin of Cornwall I, I I've not it's not a waste it's not been a waste where in Cornwall are you sorry like what's the closest town or village south coast so I'm in literally directly in, in the middle of Lou and Polpero. Okay. 
Right. So Lou's quite a sizable tourist town, and Paul Perrogue's one of the most beautiful fishing, typical fishing villages in in Cornwall, I think. Okay, yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned about your tour that you want to lead, the running tours. I'm a, a bit of a hopeless runner, but I've done a half marathon, so I will give myself that bit of credit. But I'd do that. I'd go and do, because you, you're not going to be running for like 10 hours a day, are you? It's going to be, no, like, it's not, it's it's gonna not be like a short burst of, or casual burst of running, right? Yeah, well, what I'd, what I'd do is like, you'd, you'd have like running workshops and maybe you come and do a bit like technique and it would be cult- a cultural holiday as well, but yeah. for people who kind of like enjoy and love running. And I think I'd have to have, um, logistically, there'd be me and there'd be like a driver. Say in my head in Thailand, I'd have a driver and different points where you can drop off. So like say 5K, yeah, 10K and like, you know, do, do it that way. Yeah. Um, a bit like this, the way the cycling tours do it. You can... You have to be quite good at cycling, but if you want, you could just go and sit in the van, or <laughs> like yeah. they could they could drop you off towards the end, and you could just meet him for the last ten k of the uh, the uh, be cycle. Mm. Yeah, just jump in the van. <laughs> I'm not, With a lot I'm of not, beers. Yeah, I'm not a great runner, <laughs> but yeah, that, that sounds really cool because you could really find out the the secrets of a place, right? Yeah, like, like well, back roads, back places. Yeah, well, you could like do remember running tours of Bangkok. You could. You, very quickly you see you see the whole city well not the whole city but you see an aspect of the city um very fast like mm. when i go to a new place i tend i tend to run it first so and i can run it a lot faster than i can walk it so then i go right i go and run around the streets get like a bit of an idea and then go okay i've got the lay of the land and it's a good way of seeing new places fast yeah it's a great idea love the idea mm. um it's a great idea also for your podcast, which will come to a minute. Like you've got, it seems like you've got some great ideas that could really get a bit of traction. So hopefully you'll get doing that. Maybe when, I guess when COVID kind of slows down, I guess. Yeah. Well, the thing is I've like, I'm not arrogant or cocky. I, re- I do think I could d- do something like that and, and make a good tour company or good, especially like and lead good tours. Cause I, I am the fourth best tour in the world. Like <laughs> I am, I'm all right today, yeah. but I don't want to settle down just yet. Like you say, I want to go living around f- for now. Mm. I'm, I'm like, I cannot, I, I always think, oh, I can, I can do that when I'm settled. Like, yes. Maybe yeah. in 10 years time, then I, I start my own tour company. But then <laughs> I, yeah, it's just like, there's never a good time, but I don't think now's a good time. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think personally, I'm, I'm probably a few years behind you, but my next job, it's going to be in travel. I have no idea what that is. That has to be in travel because it's the only thing I'm interested in. Yeah, so I, I could easily sit in, like, for example, just give front of ideas here. SA travel, for example, don't exist, I know. But that setting where you just kind of, it is an office job, really. But I guess you get um, allowances to go on tours back in the day, like that, that they have. Yeah, yeah. But you talk about travel every day. Like I, can, I can talk to someone about travel, and if I need to sell them, like, a travel card for $25 on it, well, fair enough. Like, it's part of the job. And well, I there's some, that. like, especially, like, high-end travel agent shops where you still go in and book these like bespoke tours i'm not talking like tui or thompson or whatever i'm talking like there's i think abercrombie and kent okay i don't know if that's right but like they're really really high-end like they have like shops in very posh streets in london okay yeah and you go in there and you go you go i want to go on this bespoke tour of me and ma and you sit down with someone like yourself and they go right well okay and you're like a bespoke travel planner 
mm. um, like a travel consultant, and you get to talk about travel every day. You get to um, with people who are into travel, and yeah. I think they make good commission as well, and they have got good base salaries. Like it's actually a, a decent career. Okay, and do you think even even though, like for example, both of us, yours are a bit different to me here. You've worked in the industry, but I've I've not worked in the industry. I've just done travel. I've actually done travel personally. Is that, would that be a problem that you've not worked in the industry? You think? Because I'm no, like, not where, at all, where do I start? Like you've been to more places. You've been to like fifty odd places, haven't you? Yeah, fifty odd countries. You've lived abroad. You're passionate about travel, which you can demonstrate with your podcast and the yeah. fact that you've been living abroad for so many years. And that is worth, from my my perspective, and mm. um, and the jobs I've applied for as well. That's worth a lot more than a piece of paper or like a degree Got in it. travel and tourism. Yeah. Like you can get a degree in travel sovereign tourism and never left. Not travel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like yeah. so, the fact that you've been there and done that is is worth a lot more. Okay, that's, and that's the people people who are um, buying from you or like whatever capacity you end up working, mm. they'd like that more. Like someone who's been there and done that, as opposed to someone who has read about it. Yeah. Okay, I got you. Uh, before we move on to your the travel and where you've been and where you've lived, I've got we've got to talk about your ultra marathons. Have you done? 15 what is the yeah. ultra marathon uh, yeah 15 like i've, I've I, or 17 oh. um but but 15 i've keep 15 on my instagram profile because yes i've i've started doing ones not races because uh, okay i'm i'm trying to move away from races like why do we need to pay someone loads of money to run far i just do yeah. it myself okay so yeah i'm trying to move away from races so um, but I've done 15 ultramarathon races. Um, yeah, ultramarathon for a listener is anything over f- a marathon, anything over 42 kilometers or 26 miles. So, really, it starts about 50, 50 kilometers. That's when you can say it's an ultramarathon, really. Got it. Yeah. Um, so, anything over that, then you're for, it's fair game for an ultra. That's about 30 miles, right? Yeah. Ish. Yeah, about, about 30 mile, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I just really enjoy it. And been doing it for I don't know since I was twenty three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you just pick a place and just go there and do it, or how do you even train or plan those sort of things? So I'd signed up. For, I went. I joined a running club in St Helens when I was when I was back working in Manchester. To run a, the purpose was to run a marathon, mm. and um, as I was joining the running club, I got really into running, and I read this book called Born to Run which is basically about the uh, shoe industry. How, okay. like, yeah. it, that's how he kind of gets into, he gets injured, the man who wrote the book. And he's like, but Nike or whatever have been manufacturing these shoes and, and telling us that we need these kind of shoes to run. But yeah. what happened for the previous 10,000 years before Nike? What were people doing Yeah, without good, Nike good shoes? Good question. So then... He traces it back to like he goes to some tribes in Africa who who basically run their run their prey to death. So they might run an ant- they might chase an antelope, run after it for a few days until it drops dead. Um, he wow. goes to Mexico and speaks to this Tarahumara tribe who run fifty miles, sixty miles, seventy miles for fun, and they don't have mad shoes. So he's and basically the he kind of it take, this book takes him on a journey and. I read it and just signed up for my first ultra marathon, which was back in England in Whitby, um, oh. Whitby, um, nice place. Yeah, it was dead, dead hard though. It was 
Burns Night. Ah, okay. So dead yeah. Winter, it was like waist deep snow along the coast, really difficult. Um, and that was a 52 miler. But I remember the the running club kept, everyone at the running club was like, oh, I say, kept saying, you can't do, you can't sign up for an ultra marathon yet. You've only done one marathon. I went, what do right. you mean? There's no rules to it. Like, yeah. Go and do it. Um, so, like, it was like, oh, you, there was like a lot of doubt, doubters, let's say, at the club. Yeah. Um, so I just went and did it. Um, just went, oh, there you go. Did that. You see, That's incredible. It's just like, of course you can do it just because you don't have to have done something first before you can do something else. And then when I, when I moved to Thailand, I started running there and doing races there. Yeah. When I moved to Haiti, whenever I've moved to, I Google ultramarathon running community and try and get into it through that. So Haiti, Slovakia, Thailand, uh, I've done ultras there. How, okay, I've got, I've got a few questions here. Um, how do you even train for this? Do you have to train? So, if, if there's no fixed mileage that you're running, how do you even decide? Short answer is don't really train for it. Just go and do it. Go on. Go on. <laughs> what, go, just go and run 50 miles? Yeah, but that being said, I try to run every day. Like, right. maybe not so much anymore, but like five or six times a week. Um, so that's like a base level, but it might only be like 10K a day. Okay. But that base level, you, I, I'm not, I'm not a professional runner. Like I don't want to dedicate and be doing like 12 hour training runs for a ultra marathon. Mm. I just want to go and do the ultra marathon. I'm not trying to win it. I'm not trying to be the fastest, I'm trying to, trying to finish it. Basically when I was in Thailand, I was a bit more serious. And then I was, I do marathons to train. Um, so there's a big running community in Bangkok. In, in Thailand in general. So you could kind of find a marathon or at least a half marathon every week. Yeah. So I'd do them and say before a big race, I might chuck in a marathon like a couple of weeks before a big ultra marathon. So yeah. then I know I've got the, my legs are okay. You know, so wow. but yeah. now, since then, since Thailand, I've just kind of gone out and done it and treated it as a, as a good, as a fun day out. Cause I do actually enjoy it. How long would it take you then? Um, it definitely depends on the um, on the race, yeah. And the so, for example, there's some races that are timed, so it's a twelve hour race. How how far can you run in twelve hours? So that right. takes me twelve hours. <laughs> some <laughs> some races are a hundred k in the jungle, with like six thousand meters of incline. That you can't prepare for that. I, I, you never know what the incline is going to be like or the terrain yeah. is going to be like. So you just go ah. It's, I'll be finished when I finish. So maybe 16 hours is probably the longest I've, I've ran. Um, yeah. Is that continuous as well? Or have you stopped? Yeah, so say if it's a big mountain run in the jungle and it's pitch black because you're running through the night occasionally. Yeah. If it's a dead big steep hill, I'll walk up that hill. I'm not right. precious. I, yeah. um, I'll walk up hills and stuff. I'll save my <laughs> legs. Uh, but say if I did a 12 hour race in Slovakia and that was a 200 meter loop on a rooftop mm -hmm. and you had to do as many laps as you could in 12 hours. And I was kind of gunning for that. I was kind of racing in that. So I stopped twice during that to go to the toilet day quick. But yeah. other than that, I didn't stop. I just, I just ran for 12 hours. Holy. Okay. No question. How do you not get bored? Um, 
I'd, it's just not boring to me. Like, okay. Um, like uh, people say, oh, boring, boring's uh, running's boring. I go, well, some people think t- TV, watching TV for 12 hours is, might be boring. Like, mm. if, if you're in the jungle or you're in the mountains of Slovakia or you're in the mountains of Haiti, that's not boring. It's absolutely beautiful and it's, yeah. it's wild and it's crazy. The, um, the endurance races around the lap, uh, like doing laps, like, 10 hours or 12 hours you don't get bored doing that because it's it's quite hard so mm. it's not as if oh this is really boring this like no it's yeah your legs are falling off and it's dead hard and if you if you're racing as well trying to win then it's dead exciting you're like oh bloody hell yeah um or trying to beat a time or trying to beat a distance and it's dead exciting you're like it's tense it's like watching formula one or something like like that, that people say formula one's boring to watch which i i personally think it it is if you're if you're actually racing it and you're there, then oh, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be dead exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird one, F one, isn't it? I yeah, agree. It's a bit boring to watch, but imagine being lo- a racer. Like, yeah, oh. Dr- well, Drive to Survive is amazing, and I've been to an F one race in Singapore, which was probably the best sporting spectacle I've yeah. ever been to. I've never, I'd never um, watch it on telly. Like, yeah. maybe I'd watch the final lap or something if it was mm. a big race. But yeah, I wouldn't just sit there and watch it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And also with running, do you? What is like your blaggable distance? So what I mean by that is we've signed up for a 10K. Now for us, it's a big thing. For me, I've done a few 10Ks. It's not huge. And Emma's already started training. And she said, oh, when are you going to start training? I'm like, nah, too early. Like I can do yeah. 5K blaggable. I can blag a 5K. So I'm halfway there already, right? Yeah. So I think oh, maybe maybe six weeks before I might just do an extra K a week done. So yeah, what's, yeah. Your, what's your blaggable distance, do you think? Well... I could definitely blag a 50k tomorrow. <laughs> 50k? Um, yeah, but the problem is blagging a marathon is hard because if you sign up to a marathon, people always want to know your marathon time. And marathons yeah. are dead fast. Um, no oh, one okay. ever asks you, no one really asks you 50k time. People always ask you marathon time. So to blag right. a marathon tomorrow, and also psychologically, if I did a marathon tomorrow, like a race, my time would be dead bad and it'd probably be annoying but if I did a 50k tomorrow no one would ask me the time and then I could blag it so I'd rather do 50k than a marathon 100% <laughs> okay that's right yeah 8k more isn't it so that's fair enough I, I get the race component yeah, yeah I understand that people trying to beat each other right that competition yeah and not just racing against other people racing against yourself really that's yeah. the best competition do you have like a a PB that you are proud of in any sort of distance um not really. I won that race in Slovakia. I'm proud of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the proud. I did 109k in 12 hours. Um, and again, not didn't train for it, just did it. So like, I'm quite proud of that. That's another question coming your way then. So when we hike, right? I'm the worst hiker. I just generally I'm fit, legs ache, hate real uphill battles. I don't mind downhill. Uphill is a struggle for me. And Emma always says to me, and some of friends here, why don't you just do it like every weekend or something? And then the big one you want to do, like maybe it's a, a mountain over the like Garibaldi Lake, for example, go and do yeah. it. And I said, well, no, it's all mental. Like I can mentally can go and do a trek, like this hike for the pool here behind me. No training. I just haven't done it. It's hard. Yeah. But I'm convinced that a lot of the stuff is mental and not actually. 100%. 100%. I, I always say anyone could do a marathon. Anyone could do an ultra marathon because you could walk half of it. Like, who really cares? As long as you've done it and you've finished it. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
It's all, it's mental unless you're really injured. And I've, I always used to think it, even if you're injured, you could probably still do it. But I think if you have got an injury, then it's probably better to stop. Like, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But I used to be able to think, oh, I just do do it anywhere. But I do think it's probably more sensible to stop. Okay, got it. Yeah, it's good to know. I'm glad you agree because I wasn't sure if I was on my own on that. Oh, 100%, mate. Like, like I said, yeah, 100% mental. I don't, I don't train for me ultras. Just go and do them. Treat them as a good day out. <laughs> 110 k day out 12 mm-hmm. laps love that yeah my, oh, sorry, 12 my, hours. my favorite and it takes a long time i've done like i've done 10 marathons i've done 17 ultra marathons it's taken a long time to get to this mentality but mm. my favorite ever race was this race in slovakia it was in the mountains and it was like, it was like 106k or something like that and i just thought right um i'd booked a nice hotel at the end well i booked a hotel at the end I had the weekend free and I was just like, right, I'm just going to take my time and really enjoy it. Mm. And I'd stop. Usually when I'm racing, I don't really stop. But this one, I stopped and I sat at the aid stations and had some soup and I was talking to people. I think I made a phone call and then just enjoying it, taking it all in. And I wasn't racing. I wasn't looking for a timing or a, or a podium or anything. I was just, and I had the best time ever. And at the end, I finished when I finished and I just, Really enjoyed it. I, I just mm. treated it as my favorite thing is being out in the countryside and being in nature. So I thought, just treat it as like twenty four hours in nature or twelve right. hours in nature, or whatever, wherever it was going to be. That's what it was going to be. Yeah, it's a great mentality. I love that. And also, what's your recovery like? Um, um remember my first my first one in Thailand with my big my hundred k. My legs were a bit sore, but now it's just normal. Like. I yeah. could be running the next day. Strange. Wow. I think I treat my legs as like different. Um, I treat my legs like people. Like I, I'm like I got, I'm quite proud of him. Like oh, he did mm. well their legs. Like uh, <laughs> I think have a bit. Yeah, yeah, they're used to it now, and like they just go oh, okay. That's what we do. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I know one of a. Oh, no, that's, that's unfair. I know a few people who love running, but the one guy that sticks out in my mind, he used to be my best friend in school before we left school, actually. But he was an athlete. He was a probably a 10, 15k um cross country athlete. He, you know, he ran for Great Britain, blah blah blah. Like proper, yeah. Yeah, tried to get in the Olympics, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And he's always that guy at school. Have you ever had one who you know you do your your, your fifteen hundred four laps around the track, right? Whatever it is. And people pretty much start off pretty similar, like you just want to get into the flow. He's that guy who's right in front, sprinting away. Like yeah. he's he's not gonna last and he just keeps that pace up all he the way around, starts yeah, yeah. people, right? So he's that guy, and he would say at the time, yeah, he'd run seven, eight times a week. Just couldn't get my head around it. But like, yeah, you're the same, right? Just extra distances rather than rather than speed. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so it's definitely mentality, but equally as impressive um, each way. Yeah, I do. I enjoy it. Okay, travel. So, can you tell me the five countries I've got here that you've lived in that are not UK? Um, so Thailand, Spain. Haiti, Slovakia, Czech Republic, and uh, Australia. Australia, yeah. Okay, the first one that really springs to mind, Haiti. How did that come about? Um, I was living in Spain, and Spain's dead nice. I love Spain. Um, yeah. It's cool. But the life was a bit too normal. I had, like, a job. I had a car. I had bills. <laughs> it was, like, quite annoying. Uh, so, <laughs> so, and. Yeah. So I was just like, right, I want something really wild. So found this job on 
because I, I teach teach English. Um, yeah. I was like, right, there's a job in Haiti. Um, let's go for that. And got it, and Emma got it too. We moved to Haiti, and we, it was there for six months. In the end, didn't last the full school year because it it wasn't the it wasn't the easiest place to live. I'd say it was the hardest place to live. Yeah. <laughs> That's some of my questions coming up, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so it only lasted six months in the end, but it was definitely a culture shock and definitely what I wanted and needed at the time, I reckon. And as I could ask, yeah, living there, what was that like? So we lived in a place oh. called St. Mark, okay. which is a few hours a few hours drive from Port-au-Prince and on paper a lot safer. Port-au-Prince is very yeah. dangerous, like a lot of mugging and the problem with Port-au-Prince is if you get mugged, Chances are you'll probably get shot as well because it's they don't want it's easier for a mugger to kill you than because then you won't have seen the face. So if you're going to get mugged in Port au Prince, the trick is to keep your eyes down and don't look at the mugger's face. You've got more of a chance of surviving that mugging then. Great tip. Um, but I lived in I lived in Saint Mark. I lived I was working at a school and I was living on a compound in a school. Yeah, um, like a separate compound just on the outskirts of the town. So. We had like armed guards and stuff, and so it was like it was a bit like oh, how the other half live, but it was a charity school, and they basically wanted to keep their staff safe who were working yeah. for this like organization. Um, a bit later on, one of the um, one of the me- members of staff got shot and killed at the school gates. Um, oh. just been to the ATM to get some money for the builders uh, and got killed. So. It turned out it wasn't that safe, but it, it wasn't as if like in Port-au-Prince, in St. Mark, I didn't feel pretty safe because everyone knew who we were. Like, yeah, oh, he's. And chances are, we probably taught someone who taught someone's niece or nephew or brother Got or it, sister. Yeah. So we had that like, local connection. But in Port-au-Prince, it did feel sketchy at times. Mm-hmm. And I think I can't remember what show I was watching or a book maybe I was reading. Something about Haiti is that's the country in Central America where a lot of people don't have a lot of hope because it's such a awful place to live in terms of muggings, like you say, crime, gangs, etc. Does that yeah. resonate with what you saw? Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm very reluctant to slag Haiti off because it, it is it's a bloody shame. And but basically, it's it's corruption from a from a leadership level that has yeah. led to this. Like what uh, Donald Trump described as a shithole. Um, but the government, the, the the politically, it is a shit home. Country wise and people wise, it's beautiful and amazing. Yeah. Um, but it's just so corrupt that when we were there, the the UN just pulled out and was like, right, we give it our best shot. Uh, but basically, all the aid money just kind of like dissipates and goes into certain people's pockets. Yeah. And it's it's hard trickle down mental trickle down to actually fix the problems the money doesn't actually reach those places because it's all it's already in some rich man's pocket yeah and that is exactly the sort of thing so i was talking to emma so just for clarification both our girlfriends called emma so Hmm. hope people don't get confused here my emma i was talking to about elon musk right i'm not backing him i'm not supporting him he's got too much money but you know, he got told on Twitter by, I think, UN or World Food Group, whatever it was, that with your money, we could solve world hunger. And he was like, okay, I'll do it, but I want full transparency. And that's the point that he's making is, okay, he yeah, if he's willing to give $7 billion, whatever it was, great, but is it actually going to reach the people like in Haiti that need it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like we, I worked for a company called, it was like hands in hand for Haiti, hand, hands in hand for Haiti. Yeah. And basically when they, they're very rich men, French men who had Haitian connections, Haitian wives, mm-hmm. um, you're talking about very rich guys. And they said after the earthquake, I think it was in 2010, yeah. the earthquake, they wanted to like build a school and try and they thought education was the key to end ending poverty, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So they went, right, we want to build this like school to take the poorest people, give them a, a really amazing education. Yeah. And so they went, right, we want to build it in Port-au-Prince. And they went, okay, the the governor of Port-au-Prince or whatever, like the, the municipality was like, you're going to have to bribe me to let, to let me, for me to let you have this school here. Um, they went to all the different provinces and they all, the governors all wanted a bribe for them to let them have this school here. Mm. Um, and St. Mark, I think the governor there was the only governor that didn't want to bribe. He was like, he was like, yeah, of course you can come here. Like, of yeah. course, like, please yeah. do build this school that is going to benefit the community and benefit everybody. Um, and so that's why it was built in St. Mark. And then they tried to send over like some school buses and, Basically, the um, they all got stopped. Like these American school buses, all got stopped in the um, the port, and they were like, yeah. "We won't release them until you've paid X amount." And it's just like, well, why? It's for benefit for this charity school, and it's just like little things like that. It's just like is is a minute example of probably mm. a much bigger problem. How on earth can you resolve that? Well, the school bus one. Oh, uh, well, in actually, general, just, just yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> the The people of St. Mark, all the kids' parents and all the people who had connections to the school did a march through the, through the city and they did actually get the school buses released. Oh, nice. That's awesome. <laughs> like, so, um, so basically, probably the answer is the people. The people, um, yeah. That shows the people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always the people that has to put up with like. But it's hard. But Haiti's a good example. Haiti's the only country in the world to ever overthrow slavery. To escape slavery, they they were enshackled um, by uh, the French, yeah, and they rose up and just kicked the French out and just mm. ended slavery. Like and it's the only country and the only people to ever do that. Um, so it shows they've got that resilience and that um, that mentality. It's just focusing it, I suppose. Yeah, I have no doubt that the people are great. As with every every country that you mm. travel to, that's the that's the main yeah. point here is that the general population are obviously. Like you and me, split. We chat about travel or chat about local stuff, right? Yeah. Have a beer with you, but unfortunately, corruption and bribery is a problem. A hundred percent. And it's, it's weird how it um, kind of is stronger in some countries and, and not in others, isn't it? Yeah, I think coupled with the um, the the old regimes of like um, Doc Duvalier and Baby Doc, and then the ex- exacerbated by the natural disasters and the earthquakes, it's just mm. it's all like. It's just, it's all come together to this perfect storm of corruption. and. So you lasted six months. Um, so what made you actually decide not to finish the school year? Why, did, why didn't you stay longer? Um, it was just a multitude of um, reasons, really. But it just wasn't a good life. And probably detriment to, uh, especially for Emma, it wasn't a good life for her. Like it, she couldn't just walk the shop. She couldn't just go and do anything. And not that I did, but like it was a lot harder for a female, and it just yeah. wasn't a great place to live. So in the end, we we said like it's just not it's not good for us to stay here. The, we we wanted to stay for the kids, but it's like 
Yeah. Do we stay for the kids at the detriment? So, like, selfishly, we left and then we went to Slovakia. Okay. And did you manage to travel much in Haiti? I know that might sound a bit difficult, but did you see? Yeah, it's, it's a things? lot harder than it looks. So, we'd go to Port Prince and one of our fellow teachers, she had a car at one point and she had a Haitian husband so that made it a bit easier and we went to a place called Fursey which is up in the mountains which is really beautiful and then other than that I did an ultra marathon from Port (laughs) Prince to Jack Mel which is a beautiful place um which was a but other than that no like there's some certain places that I I wish I could have seen and yeah but no no I'd have to to go back (laughs) yeah as always did you manage to go, go across the border to Dominican Republic Dominican no no again just not not a thing like the oh, idea right. of going to dominican is just like just was never in like our thinking like yeah and and just like how could we get a public bus from here to there <laughs> yeah. just like yeah. like no nah, we just won't go we're, we're in haiti we're in saint mark we're in this school we don't leave like wow hmm. that's a unique experience though isn't it Oh, 100 percent. and I, I do look back on it with fond memories and i do i'm glad that i did it and like it was exactly what I wanted and needed. And also, you, you are going to learn from that. So whether that's like you helped the kids out for a short period of time or you never learned something about yourselves or travel or live in a different country or Spanish, whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. You very easily... Like, the kids we taught didn't have electricity or running water. They didn't have many clothes. They didn't have any much food. And at the time, you're like, bloody hell, we're so lucky. And you forget that instantly. But you yeah. have to keep reminding yourself of that. Like, oh, you are quite lucky. Like, but it's very easy to forget. Yeah, I got you. So then you moved to Slovakia and then Czech Republic. Yeah. And together. What was the thinking there? Just looking for a teaching job. And this yeah. seemed like ideal. It was like a, a different, it was a different school every week, different town, different village every week across Slovakia and the Czech Republic. So we got to really explore the whole Slovakian Czech Republic and we've never really done that part of Europe before mm. so we're like oh we can see other like, other places and it was just like from having no freedom to having like the ultimate freedom to living out of a suitcase and yeah every Friday we'd get on a train and go somewhere else and we'd be in a town for a week and never go back like it's just like <laughs> and so you're forced to do everything then like you know like and you'd like, hyper local tourism like Places that you'd never be a tourist, but then you're 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 there, so then you do then you're a tourist there. Slovakia is beautiful as well. Like yeah. the countryside, the mountains, the trees, the the snow in winter, the the sun in summer. It's just one of my uh, favourite places in the world. But also Slovakia is Bratislava, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah capital right. of Bra- capital's Bratislava. Yeah. That's right. Um again, we spent quite a lot of time in Bratislava because it was a different school every week, but there's more schools in the capital. So yes. occasionally we'd have like four weeks in Bratislava and then I got to really know and really love Bratislava and I just love Slovakia really. My favourite memories of Slovakia are in winter, it being dead cold, really, really cold. And I had some of my favourite pubs. I love craft beer, I love beer. Yeah. We'd go to like pub to pub and you'd go in, you'd be freezing. But these pubs would be like subterranean <laughs> and dead smoky. And, yeah, yeah, cla- but, old days. <laughs> yeah, but like even now, like this was like a year ago, two years ago. Dead smoky. They don't, they don't give a fuck. Like yeah. technically, it was illegal, but it's, but I, I like it. I like the smoke. <laughs> I don't smoke. Yeah, 
Yeah. Never smoked, but I love the smoke. I love smoky bars. I really do. So going <laughs> in there when it's when it's cold outside, it makes it makes a place really cozy. And mm. I know it might kill you, but uh, so so we're drinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah, I'm mm. not fussed by that. So you you were going to different school every week. That that was the job. Yeah, so we're going through the school, and we teach English for a week. So they'd like cancel all the all the lessons. And they'd have an intensive English course for a week. Oh, wow. So, and they had to pay for it. So they were engaged. And from usually from like ages 10 to 18. And we get to see, see some really remote parts of Slovakia and the Czech mm. Republic every week. And it's just great. So I feel like I'm, I just, I've been to places in Slovakia and Czech where you would never, ever go. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You must have loads that in the bank. Yeah, it's yeah, like, it was just it was just great, and and inevitably we'd go and find the best place to eat, the best place to drink, and in these places that I'd never seen a tourist ever before. Like, <laughs> it's great. I loved it. That's, a, that's such a cool job. That's a it's a real unique. It job, is, it? and um, it's a company called Talk Talk Slovakia. They're always looking for teachers, actually. And Guy, the guy who runs, his name's Guy. He runs the uh, yeah company along with his uh, uh, Slovakian partner. He um, he always he always tries to tempt me to go back. What are you doing for a couple of weeks? <laughs> and there's nothing I'd love like there's nothing I'd love more to, than to, to go back. It's not worked out this year because he wanted me to go over before Christmas, and like even now he wants me there. Mm. Um, and it's so tempting just to go like right, I'm free for a month. Give <sighs> yeah. us a, give us four schools because we I'm a dead fun job as well because like these kids are um, probably having the boring the most boring teaching. Yeah lessons of the lives ever it's all like copied on the board and the authors copy down in the books and we come along and like just go like like i've just have a good time and they're like yeah. so it's it just a dead, a dead fun job i really i really enjoyed it and these kids don't speak english i guess or very yeah, limited they, they're actually better than you think okay because most of them are probably do like six hours of english a week and they're they, to come on the course they have to be all right on english like they they have to get like the 60 euros off the mum and dad or something or the 100 okay. euros off the mum and dad for this intensive yeah. English week. So they've got to really want to be able to do it. And right. the more, I'd say the majority of the people were engaged and like really enjoyed it. And God, just, that's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's class. You must have met so many people doing that in both countries, Czech and... Yeah, like yeah. And like, so you go and meet these like mate, friends with these teachers and like the, the best schools are the ones where the teachers will look after you. So they go, right, we're, we're going to take you out for dinner on Tuesday. Okay. Um, come to my house tonight and yeah. then the, so those schools were the best so you could, yeah. you could end up in a different person's house every night <laughs> um yeah you know like and they cook you like these dinners and like they'd look after you and they'd take you to places those were the best schools and best towns um because you really got under the skin of those places yeah and also czech republic what was that like um, yeah same same very similar countries like i know yeah. it used to be one country czechoslovakia yeah. um Sometimes it's hard for me to separate in my mind, like, like memory. If it, if that place was in Czech, or that mm. place was in Slovakia. Um, but typically, I'd say Slovakia though they had a lot more smaller villages and smaller towns, very rural. But in in the in Czech, I'd I remember going to some really great bigger cities and bigger towns. Mm. But again, if my heart is in Slovakia, but yeah. I do love the Czech Republic. Do they speak the same language? 
different languages, right? In those countries, different, but it's basically the same. Right. Okay. Got it. But they are different pe- people, but the different languages, but it is pretty similar. Okay. Like, it's the same language, really. <laughs> As an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No offense to all uh, <laughs> the Czechs and the Slovaks listening. It's interesting because there's you know Czechoslovakia won the Euros. I don't know if you're into football or not, um, but the big the big like thing here is Czech Republic are way oh, way better. They're better at football now than Slovakia, right? But back in those days when they won the Euros, which is a big yeah. thing, majority of players were Slovakian, and people seem to forget that, and that's, that's like, kind of a big pride of their country in terms of football. Well, the uh, Slovakians always go like, "Oh, the Czechs." They when they they like they look at him like the Czechs look down the Slovaks hundred percent. Ah, okay. Um, right. And the Czech Republic think they are better than Slovakia. That's what I gathered. Right. That's interesting. Uh, but I kind of got on with this, got on with Slovakia more than Czech. I think maybe because it's the underdog, but they are they are very similar. Yeah. Um, and I made good friends in both, but. Slovakia is the um, is the place for me. I think. Yeah, it, it for me it provide it would provide the most intrigue. I don't know much about Slovakia. Weirdly, my or strangely, my friend from Norwich, his girlfriend is Slovakian, so he's actually planning to uh, move over there this year because um, oh class. She's been in Norwich or in London working for a while, but they're gonna go go to Bratislava and settle down there for a bit. What's he gonna do? He has no idea. <laughs> he works in insurance right now, so oh, okay. I don't know if that's available in in Bratislava, yeah, but yeah, so he's got to figure that out. But yeah. I'm on to him like, are you yeah, are you learning Slovakia? And he's like, yeah, sort of. I'm like, mate, get on with it, like, because surely <laughs> if you want to live in Slovakia full time, you've got to learn a language, right, to get really involved. Yeah, English is all right. They're all right, English. Oh, okay, you'll, fair you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll be all right. Yeah, and, and he's got a girlfriend to. Help yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Whereabouts in um, Spain did you live? Uh, in, have interest um, on the. Andal- in Andalusia, okay. um, yeah. in very close to Seville, mm-hmm. um, in the Sherry Triangle. My the town I lived in was called San Luca de Banamida. Um Beautiful town, and it's just been like awarded the the gastronomy. Basically, it's one of the best places for food in Spain. It's just got this award oh, okay. this year. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like a it's a hidden gem. It's where Spanish people go on holiday. Oh wow! Um, there you go. That says it all right. Yeah. So, uh, so they, was, they don't go to Benidorm or <laughs> Costa del Sol. No, no it, was, it was class. So <laughs> the place we live, we only lived, lived in Spain for ten months because the two months of summer, um, like, it's like July or August, something like that. Um, the rent in my place basically we were paying X amount for a month. Then it was like that was like X, the same amount was for a week in July oh, because it's just before. so popular. Yeah. Um, it, people flock there and uh, could only rent for ten months because oh, the landlords right, so they won't let you. Uh, yeah, so they're like right, right, you can have the place, you can have the place, yeah. but for those two months you have to move out. Like, oh, got it. And yeah. it's pretty standard practice for San Luca. That I don't blame them. If they're going to make quadruple the money in a month, right? Yeah, exactly. Why not? It must be really hot in the summer though down there, right? It is very hot. Um, like not as hot as Seville. Like Seville gets mad temperatures, like forty odd degrees. Like yeah, you can't yeah. leave the house. San Lucas not so bad. It's on the coast. Yeah. So you've got those Atlantic winds, and um, like in winter it was freezing, <laughs> like genuinely cold. <laughs> wow, really? Oh wow. Yeah. And what was the um, lifestyle like? Did you learn Spanish, or what was your job as well? No, I'm so lazy because I was English teacher, 
I'm working in yeah. an English school. My friends were English. Yeah. And at work every day I was speaking English. Um, made a few Spanish friends running and in the local bars I go into. Like, I wouldn't say they were friends. Like, Just at the know, time right? they were, but they were more like acquaintances, really. Yeah. But my real friends were English. Right. I guess that's the problem being English, isn't it? Yeah. And working in an English school, yeah. y- your colleagues are all English. So yeah. it's just like, it's hard to meet people then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can see why. That comes back to the point we made before about being slightly lazy, right? Yeah. You should really try and guess, maybe know some locals, but it's too easy just to speak to English for, uh, people about English stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and like, I did join the running club and they were dead nice, the, these runners, and I, I, I ran with them a lot. But they didn't speak very good English because yeah. it wasn't like an English-speaking tourist town. So it was up to me then to learn Spanish, and I just never. I always knew Spanish is a dead handy language, but after Thailand, I just stopped learning languages. So I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to keep moving on, so there's no point. Yeah, that's fair enough. And then Thailand, as we come to that now. Bangkok, were you living in? Is that yeah, saying? Bangkok for like three years. I just Great city, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely love it, and such a good expat city. Like, there's something to do every night. Yeah, get all the cuisines in the world. You can buy anything you want. It's you've got very good transport links, excellent transport links. Yeah, um, it's just a really, really great place to live, and one that I I wouldn't be surprised if I end up living there. Oh, really? Sometime. Okay. Yeah. yeah, wouldn't surprise me. What part of uh, Bangkok did you settle in? Or do you move it around? Uh, we moved around a bit, like so. We'd always be on the BTS line, um, yeah. but we tried to like get a different apartment every six months because then dead easy to like just stick to your neighbourhood. But if you want to see a place, you have to keep moving around to the different neighbourhoods. So yeah. every six months, we'd go to a different place. Um, so we ended up settling in Ceylon. Um, oh, Ceylon, what's Ceylon Road? Yeah, yeah. Ah, that's uh, where I stayed. My yeah, there. yeah. So we were just off Ceylon because uh, I used to work in Ceylon. Okay. Um, yeah, so I ended up there, and I remember in our first year, never went to Ceylon at all. Like, always mm. sucking bit, sucking bit, sucking bit. Um, but then after, ended up moving to Ceylon and, like, just loving it. Like, actually, yeah. it's quite a good little neighbourhood to live in. Like, And you're right on the river there as well. So. Yeah, you've got the, the, the boat transfer, boat transfer uh, right? Yeah. I took Emma there because, uh, as I said before, I previously travelled with my friends in Thailand for a bit. And we stayed in Ceylon for a week and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Met so many people, loads to do, great transport. There's a good road to them road. There's a lot of stuff going on. And then I took Emma back. Well, back for me, but first time for her to Ceylon. God, it just felt so modern. It's like, wow, it's changed in like five years since I was there. Yeah. And I was like, like whoa, crazy. I, I went back a few years ago after a couple of years. And again, things have changed. And I, I bet it's dead different now. Like, yeah, yeah, um, it's just modernising, isn't it? Like to the max. Yeah, yeah. Really and is. I, I see, I see my memory. Right, here's a memory. Ceylon Road for me is 2013 in January. It's like I had no phone because smartphones weren't really a big thing for most backpackers. People at the hostel, you have to speak to them. They can't be on your phone. Great times, great friends, exploring the city. And I felt like oh, there's way more to explore in Bangkok. So I'd love to go back. So me and Emma kind of didn't really do, do much of Thailand apart from Chiang Mai. So we have to go back and explore a bit more but i want to go to bangkok and do more stuff there i think yeah like people go to bangkok and they they go they stay on kosan road and they don't yeah. really leave kosan road and yeah. they get a tuk-tuk that scams them and they kind of go oh, i hate bangkok it's shit yeah. and they go well yeah. yeah 
and I'm 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 sick of like arguing that Bangkok's <laughs> a good place. Like it is a good place, but you just have to know where you need to know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. And don't absolutely. just go to Kosan Road. I've been to Kosan Road three times in my life. Yeah, we went once, maybe twice, yeah. and I thought, yeah, I don't need to come back here. Too um, much. And that was to probably meet meet friends who, against my advice, stayed on Kosan Road. But it's definitely <laughs> worth seeing. Definitely worth visiting. It is, yeah. When you go street, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you were, I guess, kind of classed as a local, right? Surely after two or three years, like you could know where to go, maybe not get scammed and all that sort of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I knew what I was doing after a few years. Yeah. Right? yeah. Did you learn language as well? Not really, no. No. Um, no. I could do all the numbers. I could I could get by, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't say I could speak Thai. I can order in a restaurant. Like, I went to a Thai restaurant last week, and I didn't order in Thai because I think that's dead cringy. Yeah. Um, but I said something. I I ordered off the menu, but I said it, and she went. So if you, you've got a Thai accent. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Have you got a Thai girlfriend? I went, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> like the typical assumption of all yeah. people. But this was in St Helens. This. Um, I went. Oh no! I just lived there for a bit, um, and without realizing it, I, pronoun- I pronounced it in the Thai way. Mm. Not in Thai, just read it off the menu, but like, so you do pick things up. And I remember when I had not, I'd, I'd, I'd lived there for a couple of years and my friends were like, my friends were traveling through Asia to move to Australia. Yeah. So I flew out to uh, Thailand to meet them there for a couple of weeks. And I remember I got the first, I was on my own. I remember I just got right at the airport in the arrivals lounge. So I got my bag, went upstairs uh, to departures because that's where the taxis drop people off. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to queue downstairs at the, like the tourist taxi taxi queue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went up to departures, jumped in a taxi there, sport tied to him, and it was just all instantly came back. And I was like, and then within t- within half an hour, I was in my, I was in my local bar with <laughs> one of my old best friends. Yeah, and yeah. Just like I was like, right, I'm back home. It, it was first time I ever felt like that. that Apart from um, St. Helens, the only ho- only place that I think of as home is probably Bangkok. I was going to ask you, do you think, um, I, I, who was I saying the other day? I was saying to someone the other day that we just don't have anywhere that feels like home. Nowhere. Mm. Maybe maybe Melbourne to an extent, which we'll come to Australia in a bit. But yeah, even Vancouver here, three years, do I feel like it's home? Mm. Probably not. I don't know. Strange. But yeah, do you just have those two, St. Helens and Bangkok? Are they, <laughs> yeah, they are two homes? Bangkok, yeah. The two. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> and also for Bangkok, have you got any like put in the spot here a little bit? Any hidden, not hidden, but like top tips in terms of maybe you said Salam is a place to stay, but anywhere to go that's maybe off the beaten track? Um see uh, my favourite bar was a place called Jack's Bar. And at one spit at one stage Jack's Bar was an absolute dive of a place on the Chow Praia River. Um still there, but now it's a bit got a bit built market. Jack's still there. But <laughs> it's, it's discovered it's no longer a hidden gem. But yeah. even still, go and have it. Go and have a beer at Jack's Bar. You'll find okay. it on Google Maps. Lovely. And any time of day, any time of night, like it's, it's the best place in Bangkok for a beer, I think. Okay. Right that's on good. the Chow Praia. Sunset's probably the best time if you get a good seat. Um, but that's my top tip, I say. Nice. And you said you plan maybe to go back. You think? No, no, definitely not a plan. But no. I wouldn't be surprised if like. 
in if I ended up settling down in Thailand. Um, the only reason we left when we did was because it's like Bangkok has you. Once it has you, it has you. I know many lifers in Thailand who went for six months and never came back, and they've been there for twenty odd years. Yeah, it's hard to leave. So the only reason we left when we did was because it's a slippery slope when you're there. Like it, it takes you, it has you. Because and hindsight, after living in many places, it, it, even though I knew it was very good, it's even better once once now I've experienced everything yeah, yeah. else. I appreciate it even more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's weird you say that. I've got no comparisons. You living there in three years, but the impact comparison I've got is me and my friend. So we had a loose plan around Southeast Asia, the classic backpacking route. And we obviously started in, in Bangkok and we didn't book anything to go to Cambodia. But we're there for like a week and we're like, fuck man, we need to get out of here because we're just going to stay here forever. Like, <laughs> it, it, it literally got us only after a week and we're like, we love this place, so many great people, food, etc. So we had to almost force ourselves to get a bus to Cambodia. Well, that's, the, that's a bad thing about backpacking, isn't it? Because you can just especially if you've not got like certain flights booked or anything, you see it a lot. Like people get stuck yeah. in hostels. And like when I was back, we, we did the South Asia, Southeast Asia trail and you, there's no, one of the, the biggest people I hate ever is the people who think the fucking bosses of the hostels, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like, like they got their own fucking shelf in the fridge. Just like, yeah. yeah. They think and they've been there for like six months <laughs> in the same hostel. They're like, Oh wow. It's so amazing here. I just can't leave. You're like, like don't settle in that. Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, but like, you. and they're like, they just, you know what I mean? They just, they really annoy me. Them people. Like just get, don't be stuck. You can always go back there. Like if you're there to go and travel and see things, then, um, do that like don't yeah. get don't become the the boss of that hostel the life, <laughs> the, the life of boss, i don't yeah. i don't mean there's people <laughs> who work in hostels and get free accommodation that's fine like yeah yeah that's they're fine. doing the job i don't yeah. i'm thinking about the guests who stay there for ages and like they think <laughs> they're like like oh hey come and join like then people's kind of really i really hate them yeah I, I we met someone the same uh almost i feel sorry for him actually he this guy we met in melbourne hostel uh, urban central that we stayed in for a while i actually stayed in three months because i actually had a job down the road so i thought i'd stay there it's close and it ended up moving out because i got fed up with hostels had to go and live in an apartment for a bit but this guy from scotland i can't i think it's called sean i don't know him like he's not contactable if you like he <laughs> him and a guy called les who i do know les is a great guy their plans to do some travel they came to australia six month plan had a load of money had a work visa they're going to do australia maybe new zealand and travel around and then get a job this Sean guy just kept going to the hostel bar night after night and he wouldn't like leave the hostel. And yeah, I think he got addicted to the group of friends that were staying there who actually had jobs. This guy didn't get a job. He was just in the hostel, living in the hostel for like six months oh. and, and had to go home to Scotland and done no travel, spent all his money. Mad. Like, well, obviously like you said you lived there for three months because it's needs must, isn't it? Like, yeah. I think Australia's a bit different because everything's so expensive and like you kind of live in hostels. But when I'm slagging hostel people off, I'm more slagging off like the... Uh, Southeast Asia backpacker <laughs> route, you know those kind of people. Yeah. Like, but he's he's made a schoolboy error that fucking huge that error, man. Yeah. Huge error. Like, I think well, he, got, he got coaxed in by the group, which I was never really part of because I knew I wouldn't be sucked in anyway. But that group were just there, just to go to hostel bar every night. And it wasn't never my long term plan to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, he got sucked into that culture really. Well, it happened to me in a way. In, we went to Brazil for like a, vol- a volunteering trip with uni- with university, and uh, there was like fifteen of us, and like it was big application. We, but we got picked, and me and I wasn't with Emma, but I was with um, but fifteen of us. We never met. None of us were friends, but we kind of all got put into this like weird environment in Belo Horizonte. Oh, yeah. um, I here. got um became friends with one of the guys on the on the on the on the tour, uh John. And me and John were always first first in the bar, last out the bar every <laughs> single night. Yeah. For like four weeks. And it came it came to like this like we we're gonna do travelling, I'm gonna go and do South America after it. I was like, looked at my bank or whatever and gone, bloody hell John, I've, I've literally spent all the money. I went, John, all that planning that we we did nah we're just gonna like we're gonna cut it short i'm never gonna like so it can't but different though we were going to these really cool mad bella horizontian backstreet bars every night so we didn't we didn't waste our time we, no, we enjoyed it decent, but it, yeah. it scuppered our plans um, okay so it can happen to the best of us and you can yeah. get that maybe with yeah. i guess your point with maybe southeast asia and this could be other parts of the world is that it's quite cheap so like yeah. you can last there and even not even spend all your budget, right? You yeah, you could maybe pay like you might be paying like five or a night yeah. for a for a dorm room or something. Yeah. So you, um yeah, if you do like yeah, it's a slip it is hard, isn't it? Um, yeah. but you have to stick be like strong and stick to your plan, because otherwise you're gonna yeah. be yeah, one of those guys in the hostel, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading an article yesterday about people who go to India. Have you heard of the Indian syndrome? Have you heard of this? I've not heard. I've not heard that phrase. No. Okay, so this is people who backpack India. I've backpacked India for three months, right? And these are the people who never come back. And there's two reasons they break it down to. One is that they kind of a bit lost. So kind of like maybe trying to search for something else that they haven't got in their life. Like at that and, point in their life, they yeah. yeah. And India kind of has that pool because it's obviously very cheap. Um, there's lots going on. Uh, people speak English because. It's the second language and you can kind of generally find something to do there and it's quite easy to settle in. And two is because people are on a spiritual sort of investigation really about themselves and like Buddhism and Hinduism and stuff like that. But it, it makes them a bit, you know, you had a lifer in Bangkok, you know, who they, uh, in, in hostel, right? you, you probably know who he is straight away. You probably walk in a room and, and see them. And it's got the same vibe where you see uh, Western backpackers who are dressing like they're going to yoga every day like trying to immerse in the culture, but almost like a bit fake. Like they're trying to yeah, yeah. be that person that oh, I went to India and I settled here and all that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. Think, oh man. Like you need to get out of that mode. Otherwise you get stuck there. And I think that's a, a real thing as well with India. Yeah. I think Bali's that place now, isn't it? But yes. Like, it's yeah. Asia. People go to Bali and like eat, pray, love kind of thing. Yes. There's that sort of mentality, which is absolutely fine. I'm not criticizing anyone, but needs to be a bit careful if you've got plans just to stick to them and yeah, yeah. maybe a bit strong and not be, be sucked into that sort of <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. But it's interesting. Um, Southeast Asia, you mentioned you've done like a little loop or the backpacking route. Did you do the whole classic Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So the plan was always to have like a gap year from working, do a year's teaching, save up and then go and do backpacking. Yeah, for that three months. So we did that, and then went back to England after the after that three month of backpacking. Yeah, and got back to England and was like, ah, what are we doing back here? Yeah, moved back to Bangkok. Yeah, 
pretty much straight away. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're in Bangkok for two more years and after that. Wow. Yeah. And you, I get, you saw the classic sites, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cambodia into South Vietnam, up the top of Vietnam. Yeah. Across into Laos. And then we did Malaysia, Borneo, Singapore. Yeah. Bit of Bali, dead like snapshot of Bali. Yeah. Um, we originally we started doing buses and stuff, and then after this one bus ride from um, Hanoi to somewhere in Laos, Lang Prabang. Lang Prabang. That's yeah. We talk about it quite a lot on my podcast. Yeah. Yeah, like twenty eight hours or whatever. Yeah, twenty eight thirty hours. Yeah. So after that, we just we saw that we could just get flights. Air Asia. Went on went on Air Asia and booked like five or six flights. Yeah. Um, for like 120 quid and never looked back. So we literally planned out. So we were like, right, we're going to fly to places now. So mm. we went back to Bangkok and then just flew to these places and did this like flying loop for like 100, 100 and odd quid. Nice. I was like, oh, that was all right. I just meant that we could like hit some places like dead quick. Like yeah. in and out of Borneo, in and out of Singapore, in and out of Bali. But it just meant that we could kind of go and see those places not really doing them in depth but give them a go yeah than, as well what did you do there um did the west um which was dead good went in the jungle saw the gorillas yeah enjoyed that is it sap no the, the big cat place uh cats Ka-ching. Ka-ching. that's yeah. the one yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. did all that did the boat to um stay in the national park with the bonobo monkeys yeah really yeah. really loved it went hiking there just dead good and then flew to the east side and then yeah. uh i did kinabulu um the mountain yeah 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 so do we oh man yeah. this is awesome i've not had anyone who's been on done this yeah, you, yeah i did kinabulu what do you make um, of it class I, I did it up and down in a day me um, oh in a day just, just oh, for wow. timing reasons because you can go basically we, we didn't have loads of money to spend at that hotel and yes. do that yeah, thing. Yeah, expensive, so yeah. you can go the day before and you go to this man and he goes, are you, are you fit enough to do this in a day? And you go, yeah. And he goes, <laughs> okay, then you've got this day pass, but yeah. you have to, then he went tomorrow, eight o'clock, come here. You have your own guide and you go up and down in a day. And that's what yeah. we did. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it just meant I could hit and run. So, but you, you never, there was nothing really available online about it. It was like, just go up there and try and do it. So I went and found this man who gave me the medical pass to go and do it and give me the, give me the pass. Yeah. And then it was like, right. So I went and got the hostel across the road, stayed there. And the next night it took a bit longer than I thought because it was quite a high mountain. Yeah. And I got back and basically I had to go meet Emma in uh, this Kinabulu, um, in the town the um, yeah. and my phone was dead and i was like right i need to put emma's expecting me back oh it wasn't dead i had just had no signal and no local data whatever mm. so, but i was like i said to emma that i'm gonna be back tonight if i don't come back tonight she's gonna wonder where i am yeah um big time so then i hitchhiked back to kinabula and this man picked me up and went out of his way and dropped me off at where i was staying like oh, really, wow. really went out of his way um I'm just an absolute gentleman. I was hitchhiking for ages and no one's picking me up. <laughs> and he said, basically, it's illegal because the, there's uh, a taxi monop- who run, have a monopoly on this, pe- taking tourists back into town. Uh, he said, yeah. if you get caught picking up tourists for there, you'll get fined or uh, you get beaten up by the taxi drivers. 
so or something like that so we, he stopped a bit further down the mountain um and then because i wonder why why is no one stopping like yeah and then yeah he stopped a bit further so i went down and he went the only reason i couldn't stop there is because you're not allowed to I went, ah yeah. makes sense i've been stood yeah. there for ages and he took me in and like i just love that and we had a great chat and i was speaking to his family on his phone and yeah just dead dead good dead nice and like i say he went really out of his way um no no incentive like yeah yeah didn't ask for any money or anything love that just being just being an absolute really nice man that's awesome i love those experiences and what about the uh the climb because we we routinely talk about the danger zone do you remember that on the climb well, up no i don't remember the danger zone but i got sick at the top of me oh, oh emma was the same yeah. yeah yeah i was sick so the my guide said basically get to the top yeah some bit yeah. you'll be fine just go, go to the top and then get down as quick as you can yeah so i ran down which was amazing i was wearing <laughs> my running shoes yeah. and i was mountain running at the time so i just ran down <laughs> and it was class like wow just, i literally ran all the way down um <laughs> and just dead dead like dead good but that there was a bit going up to the top where i got a bit of altitude sickness and i do yeah. i do get altitude sickness it turns out which is annoying oh that's a bit annoying yeah i never had it so i don't, I don't know what it feels like but emma was heaving like i've never seen her so ill you know, yeah, bit, you, you know, can't you, control it mate you can you control like, it yeah you can't do anything she got it you know the bit the scramble to the top to the summit with the chance yeah you got a, a bit of rocks just before that because it's yeah. kind of flat ish it's kind of nice incline up right with the rope yeah. you sort of follow it up but at that point she's like oh, i can't do it it's like now nah, we've got you know, we're hanging like we're, we're not hikers like, i was hanging so like, no, we've got added that burst energy we've got to get to the top get that photo and as soon as we've got the photo yeah we pretty much ran down those rocks and got a bit bit lower and she's feeling all right but it's crazy that, like that like you think that's like four thousand meters or whatever it is yeah and people are doing like eight thousand on yeah 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 like yeah. i would be dying up there like oh i, I just wouldn't go i don't think because it's just no physiologically i think i would be sick yeah yeah i totally get that the, the danger zone was the bit where you have to climb on the ropes and pull yourself up with rocks um yeah i, I know, know what you mean I don't know if you've done it in day or night time, but we've done it in night time, so we couldn't see the drops either side. Ah, okay. So I was there in the day. Right. Yeah. And we, because there's signs that say, don't stop and don't overtake. Like, oh, why is that? And they're like, you're going to have to use this rope. So we're pulling ourselves up. I'm like, what is this area? Like, bit of, like, part of the trek. And we couldn't really see. And then when we got to the next, uh, so I think it's the last stop off where people can, like, chill out and have some water. People were crying. People were being sick. I was like, Fuck. Well, what, what has see happened here? Like, yeah. well, luckily, because I was like in this like up and down a day kind of mentality, it was like no stopping. It was just like right straight to the top, yeah, straight down. It was like, and my guy had done it like a million times. He was smoking all the way. I was like, bloody hell, it was hard. <laughs> oh, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. Yeah. But, like, this guy made, made me work a bit harder because I was like, bloody hell, like he's doing it there, smoking, whatever. And I'm struggling. So, but because. I think we started dead early and timings wise, I didn't really see many people when I was coming down and I saw people arrive into that hotel. So oh, it okay. must've like kind of worked out differently because yeah. the people who own that hotel monopolize that route, don't they? Yeah. So you have to go and stay at the hotel. Yeah. Some people do it for like two nights, three nights, don't they? They're like, yeah. you're a captive audience. So that's what I didn't want. And I only had a certain amount of time. Um, I read about this medical pass you can get or get signed off to get mm. a guide, and that's what I did, and it was that's awesome. It, yeah. it was worth it. Like, 
Yeah, that's um, they do monopolize it because we there's a rule if you do the two days, so one night, two day, you have to be out, it must be by 12 or even 11 a.m. So we, we obviously left at 3 a.m. That's why it's in the dark, right? To get it for sunrise and get up to the top and back down again to the, the accommodation to check out essentially and carry on with the trek. Um, but, but that oh, danger okay. zone is quite near the, that hotel place, and we saw it in the daylight and we we're a bit shocked with the. The drops either side. I was like, "Fucking hell!" Like, yeah, gust the wind and you're off, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they have a monopoly. Like, they they tell you to get out by twelve or eleven o'clock. And we saw some people on the way down. We're, we're not we're not slouchers. Yeah, you know, we're probably in the top. I don't know, twenty five percent of people. Like, we're getting a move on, and we're coming back down. We're like, God, like people in our room. Are like, you got to get a move on because by the time you get up there and come back down, you're going to really quickly check out. Yeah. Okay, let's do uh, your your podcast. And um, please tell me, Travel Bubble Podcast, what is the premise of this? Um, what's, what's your idea with this podcast? Yeah, a bit of a lockdown project. It was a bit like, can't travel, but I want to travel from my armchair. So it was like, let's talk about travel. So the idea was to talk to people and, and they can pick the top three countries that they've been to. And basically, it's a bit of a vehicle for people to chat about their favourite countries and to provide inspiration. So each person picks their favourite activity, their favourite food and their favourite thing in those countries. And hopefully the listeners can kind of gain a bit of inspiration for future trips and ideas of where to go and what to do in places. Okay, yeah, I love the premise because it's like, yeah, it's kind of set. Like bang, 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 choose the three countries, choose your wildcard uh, country, reasons why. It's, it's great to figure it out and like, oh, shit, I've got to choose three here. Yeah, it's very formulaic and it, 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 it's just a set format. So it's like, you know, a bit of a chat and like you you do go on tangents, um, but it's like a, a set format and it makes it a lot easier for me. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, like mine where it's just really casual where I have to kind of be quite strict with wrapping stuff up, um, which is quite difficult to do sometimes. Uh, yeah. There must be fun to record with certain people must be like, it's fun to do, right? It's fun. Yeah, well, you've been on, James, and your episode's coming out very short. Like, yeah. when this comes out, it might, might already be out. Yeah. Um, yours is coming out on Wednesday. Oh, wow. So, Close. yeah. yeah. Um, so, it's dead fun. Like, and there's certain, like, obviously, I've never met you before, James, but we kind of, mm. far be it for me to say, we kind of got on. Yeah, um, yeah. So, like, yeah. Our, our chat was dead good. Like, we could just kind of just chat like old mates in a way. Um, and those are the best ones. Like, you can get people who've been to 150 countries, but if, they haven't got the chat or like the banter then it's hard but you still yeah. get the inf- information the inspiration but for me it's a much better if it's a fun chat yes um, and like i'm learning things as well and like having a good time at the same time yeah yeah absolutely right i think we could probably go for a beer and have to talk about travels right which i'd love to do one day that's that's kind of been my thing for people who, have, who i don't know my podcast i'd love to just kind of like at some point we can talk about our travels and email. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? I think that well, the best thing for me about the podcast is literally connecting with so many people. Like, yeah. I've had a lot of friends on, um, especially starting out. But for me, it's like meeting the new people and chatting to the new people. That's the best bit. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like, Connections, right? Connect, connecting, like, and that, that's the reason why I do it now. It's just like meeting all these people and getting inspiration, but mainly to meet people and and just chat. Yeah, uh, I want to finish with like uh, it's hard to meet people travel traveling because my obviously group of friends in Norwich they're not traveling they're just they're going for the whole I don't know what you called it really their normal normal life if you like yeah, yeah. <laughs> the social norms of you know career job house blah 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 so they don't really have an appreciation for travel or even know 
how to connect about it. So it's quite cool to meet these people like, like yourself. Yeah, hundred percent like-minded. Yes, like-minded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'd be no short of, uh, of chat of different countries with experience and stuff like that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, so we can wrap up. Where can we find <laughs> it, and how often? Yeah, it's every week, every Wednesday. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Really, like Spotify, Apple. If you just search Travel Bubble, it should come up, and Instagram at Travel Bubble Podcast. Okay, I'll put the links up in the um, in the sort of blurb that we do with the podcast, right? So they Cheers, can mate. access those. Um, I'll put a few links up there for anything else, like with social media, just Instagram. I obviously know you from Instagram. Yeah, but... Instagram, Facebook. I kind of, I'm not really very active. I just post like, yeah, right, new episode out, or occasionally I'm just a bit lazy with it, really, but. Um, the episodes are always going to be there every Wednesday. Yeah, um, but you can you get reminded when episodes out on Instagram. Okay, cool. Quick fire questions. It's travel question time. Uh, what is your favourite country that you travel to? Thailand. Oh, that was okay. in my, that was the one in my head. How many countries have you travelled to? It's about fifty odd. Yeah. I don't count. I I knew that was going to be um, a question, so I need, I need to download that that Bean app. But yeah, it's fifty odd. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, what is your favourite beach that you've been to? Oh, that's a good question. Um, driving across the Nullarbor. Uh, oh yeah. From yeah. just stopped at this really weird like beach. I, I, I can't think of the name of it, like Camel Beach or something, maybe. Okay. Just driven off like we sort of sign and drove off to it, and it was the most. It was the biggest, most beautiful, whitest, deserted beach I've ever seen. It was amazing. Wow. Okay, that's great. And um, what has been? Do you drink coffee? I do. Uh, what is a a place or a city that you go to? You think, oh, I'd love to go there and just drink coffee for a day. Any particular place uh, in your mind? Maybe Havana. I've been to Havana. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. Got. But yeah, I just sit there and have a, have a coffee and. Yeah, I went to like a place called Vinales, and this man roasted the coffee beans there. And it was just dead good. Oh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great, it's probably arguably best shot I've had so far. <laughs> Favorite trek? Um, probably it's in my head now. Probably that Kinnapulu trek was all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, but in fact, no, the my favorite one we were staying in Chef Chewin in Morocco, and we've got this guy who took us up into the mountains. Um, we pulled out this pan from the middle of from this hidden rocks, made a little fire, got some of his homemade olive oil, and fried these eggs eggs and we had some eggs and some bread and we looked over chef shoeing and it was just amazing and that was sticks in my mind as like the best like little hike and experience that i did while traveling awesome not had many recommendations from Morocco's. that's great um your favorite this is a tough one your favorite city i don't know if you're a city person or not uh bangkok again bangkok. like yeah it's just that's the first thing that springs to mind so it must be the one yep um favorite cuisine or food um I'm bang about Thai. Thai, uh, Spain is close second. San Luca de Barameda is a real culinary gem. Check it out. Got it. That's a great recommendation. Favourite landmark that you've seen? Um, for some reason that came into my head then, uh, even though it's a bit shit, uh, Christ the Redeemer. <laughs> like, no, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> no, it, is a bit, it is a bit of a shit landmark, but I just, it just when I thought of landmark, I thought of that. Oh, I love that. Um, your favourite high adrenaline activity um is ultra marathon running at times is, a, is high adrenaline okay especially okay. running downhill 
but and like if you fall you break your legs <laughs> that's adrenaline <laughs> yeah okay i got two more questions penultimate question is if you could pick a country that you've not lived in that you'd like to live in what would it be or where it be? um cuba i really i really would like to live in havana for a bit okay. I've, I've been to cuba but yeah. i really would like to like live in havana for like six months i don't know what i'd do but i just kind of like that vibe and just what really good walking city okay that's great and last question would be if you were to give people a few senses as to why they should travel what would be your wisdom to pass on um the best the biggest thing i've come out of travel is that probably everybody's the same the more people you meet the more places you go to that every everybody's really the same everybody's just trying to put food on the table and trying to get by in life and uh, it's very easy to forget that like be xenophobic or be racist and like but really everyone's just the same so like it broadens the mind and you just realize everybody's just the same and just everybody's in the same boat and just remember that brilliant like like get on with people and love thy neighbor okay i'll finish on that matty thanks for coming on i really appreciate you making time to come on the podcast i can't wait to release it cheers mate i just love chatting with you like uh, I, again we could we could have chatted for another couple of hours easily easily i i'm not averse to bringing guests back on so i think there's a lot more to explore with you in terms of places you've been traveled to i, I feel like i've only touched the surface really so i'm no doubt if you want to you can come back on i'd love to mate I, I was like i said I, I was up for a chat and a beer brilliant awesome Thanks, mate, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Take care. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also find this podcast episode on YouTube. Please search for Winging It Travel Podcast and you can follow and subscribe today. It'll either be the video of the podcast or there'll be some still pictures to accompany the audio. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.